I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Floods, fires, hurricanes. John Carter will focus today on climate change. Hello, friend. Welcome today to the program which is on climate change. We're so glad that you joined us. We have a special world-famous guest, Dr. Hugh Ross, who was the president of Reasons to Believe. Dr. Ross is a world-famous author, and he believes that the findings of science are compatible with the findings of the Holy Scriptures. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Greater Manila is more than 20 million souls. Almost all these beautiful people are ignorant of the true gospel of Christ. Manila needs Jesus. 35 years ago, John Carter came to Manila. Pastor Carter is returning to Manila with an urgent assignment. Preach the gospel of Christ and the great truths of the Bible. Don't water down the message. Make it plain, make it clear, make it Christ-centered. The Carter Report needs your help now to light a fire in the Philippines. Your gift will help open the doors of bondage, smash the chains of sin, and open the gates of paradise to thousands of lost souls. The churches have sent out an urgent plea for the Carter Report to return. Help us proclaim the true gospel of Christ to the beautiful Filipino people. Please send your support to the address on the screen, visit our website, or call the Carter Report. Welcome today to the Carter Report. We have a special guest, Dr. Hugh Ross from Reasons to Believe. And today we're talking about what some people would call is a controversial subject, climate change. Stay with us. You're going to enjoy this program. Dr. Ross, we are absolutely delighted to have you with us here today. Oh, thank you. Uh, we've had you with us on our program before, and uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're here today because you have so much information. You are an astronomer and an astrophysicist. You've just written a book on climate change. I've read it through. Uh, absolutely stirred up the molecules of my mind. Some young people are terrified that they're not going to get to old age, that the world might come to an end because of climate change within 10 years. Well, How would you comment? I don't know of any climatologist that says that uh, you know, Armageddon's happening in 10 years. Some are saying by 2050. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, 30 years. Yes. Uh, that's, I would call, a worst-case scenario. What I've written in my book, there are things we can do to continue the amazing stability of our climate that we've enjoyed for the past 9,500 years uh, for more than a millennium. Probably not two millennium, but at least another millennium. And we can do it without killing our economy. In fact, we can do it while we enhance our economy. And mainly I'm writing the book to take the controversy and the politics out of this climate change issue. 
It's true, is it not, that climate change has become uh, politicized? Oh, very much politicized. And so it's hard to have a, a rational debate in some circles about climate change. Well, the reason it's gotten politicized, you go one side saying we have to do something to restore the climate to what we've enjoyed for the past 9,500 9, years, uh, but we need to do it by making draconian economic adjustments. And then you got the other side saying that will never work. Uh, trying to persuade people to lower their standard of living by a factor two, three, or four, that's a hard sell. And so they're basically saying maybe the climate change is not as big a problem as we think. And what we're basically proposing at Reasons to Believe, there are ways to stabilize the climate that boosts the economy. We don't have to have econ draconian economic sacrifices. Now, I'd like to say a few words to my audience today, Dr. Ross. Good men and good women can disagree without becoming disagreeable. Definitely. Is, isn't this true? That's a Christian virtue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever happened, uh, we say to some people, whatever happened to their Christian faith, if we can't discuss controversial issues and love each other, there's something very wrong with our so-called Christianity. Well, people need to realize non-Christians watch how we treat one another, especially how we treat one another on issues where we sharply disagree. If they see that we can disagree in a charitable, uh, encouraging way, then they're going to be willing to trust us to deal with their issues. So I think we all need to be aware we are being watched. Um, Today, in North America, I think you'd agree with me on this, the whole country seems to be polarized. Yes. And there's so much hate speech. And if a person disagrees with you, he just doesn't disagree with you, he's got to be your enemy. Well, it's not just America. I see that as a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, this is true. And climate change seems to be the issue in which you get the greatest, um, you know, vilification. Greatest polar polarization. Exactly. And so if a person thinks this, he's one of the baddies. And if he thinks this, he's one of the baddies. We can't, many people find it very, very hard to listen to the other person and to think rationally. Well, I've written this book, Weathering Climate Change, basically to make the point. It's a great book. Thank you, that none of this is necessary. We can take the controversy out. We can take the politics out simply by looking at the creative solutions whereby we can manage the planet for our benefit, the benefit of all life, same time boost our economy. Who's not going to like it? It's win, win, win. Now, what is the consensus? Now, you're, you're a world-famous scientist. What is the consensus of the scientific community concerning climate change and global warming? Is there a consensus? There is a growing consensus that's relatively recent. I mean, I waited to write this book until the research reached that point. But the consensus now is that from 9,500 years up until the year 1900, the global mean temperature was extremely stable, varying by no more than plus or minus 0.65 degrees centigrade. And it gradually declined over that period by one degree centigrade where there's also consensus in the last 70 years, it's gone up by one degree centigrade. So now the planet is just as warm as it was uh, 9,000 years ago. Now, this is what the, the scientific world is saying. 
It is, and there's no dispute over this because, you know, we've got excellent uh, measurements of the temperature. There's no dispute over this. That's the one part that's not disputed, is that we've had this long, stable period where the temperature declined by only one degree, and over the last 70 years, uh, that's gone up. And that's what's causing the alarm, is the fact that in just 70 years, we reversed 9,500 years of uh, uh, temperature decline. Um, let me ask you this question. Now, this is a, a rather difficult question. I've been told that scientists on occasions have falsified the evidence to make a case for a global warming. Uh, I've read this, you know, I get this literature and, and uh, it's rather derogatory of the scientific community, but it says that there, there are, there's clear evidence that there are scientists who have... Um, made up the facts or else they have perverted certain ideas they've had an in other words they've had an axe to grind well i think they have a point that these scientists do have an axe to grind but there is zero evidence that they ever tampered with or manipulated the data this controversy all came out from britain where some climatologists were commenting on the data and what we should do about the data that we see uh, but there's been in eight independent studies about whether there was any uh, manipulation of the data, and all eight studies have said no. There's been no manipulation of the data. But yes, yeah, scientists were saying things they probably shouldn't have said to one another that became public. Uh, but, you know, scientists are humans. Yeah, of course they are. They're yeah. humans the same as we are with, uh, with prejudice and pride and everything else because uh, we are sinful human beings. Now... I have been interviewing you for a number of years and you've been a tremendous blessing to me and to our ministry. You are a committed Christian. Yes. And you believe in the Holy Scriptures. Yes. And you believe, this is really the core of your organization, you believe that the, the findings of, of, of science, true science, uphold the teachings of the Bible. Correct because of what you call this, this fine-tuning thing. Well, that's the main thing I'm trying to get across in this book, uh, Weathering Climate Change, is that climate instability is the norm. What we've had for the past 9,500 years is the exception. In fact, we've never had an ice age cycle where we've had extreme climate stability. And mainly what I write about in the book is all the amazing <clears throat> fine-tuning that must take place over the long history of the Earth to open up this tiny window, just 9,500 years wide, where we've got this extreme climate stability. Uh, let me ask you this. You're, as an astronomer, uh, you worked also at Caltech, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, quite an amazing experience. Yes. Some say it's the, uh, easily one of the greatest universities in the world. Well, for astrophysics, it ranks number one. Number one? Yeah. Yeah. I, I read in USA News and World Report that is, uh, one year at least, it was number one university in the United States. Well, it's the only university where they got more professors than students. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. I'm not kidding. They got more professors than, than students at Caltech. Well, if you include all the research fellows that are there that also help with the teaching, yes, it's got more professors than students. 
2,000 <laughs> faculty, 1,400 students. And, and now I'm getting a little off the subject, but you've got a son who's going to Loma Linda. Yes. What's he doing there? Well, he's getting a doctoral degree in clinical neuropsychology. And how's he finding Loma Linda? Oh, he loves Loma Linda, loves attending the lectures there, uh, loves the fact that he can integrate both his research in neuroscience and the clinical work. He says, you know, I want this to apply to real people. So, <laughs> Now, scientists say that the Earth has had a, uh, this period, and people would debate it, I'm sure, at least uh, among some conservative Christians, about the age of this period of stability. But there have been periods of hot and cold. Well, what I wrote about in a previous book, this one, Improbable Planet, the only way you can have billions of human beings on planet Earth is if we live in an ice age cycle uh, where we go from, say, 20 to 23 percent ice coverage uh, and then transition to a period of only 10 percent. And uh, we've had over 40 of those cycles in the past recent history of the Earth. And you need that in order to have enough water to irrigate the great agricultural plains. We're living off the benefit of ice left over from the last ice age, melting and watering our great agricultural plains. How do scientists like you know that we've had periods of hot and cold for, you know, so many years? How do, how do they know this? What, well, probably what, what the proof? best evidence is ice cores in uh, central Greenland, hmm. uh, central Antarctica, and in the Alps. Tell me about these ice cores. Well, it's kind of like tree rings. I mean, every year you get a layer of ice. And in that layer, you will have different uh, uh, isotopes. Probably the ones that are most significant are the isotopes of oxygen. Tell me about isotopes. What are isotopes? Well, there are different um, atomic weights of an element, like oxygen mm -hmm. has got three uh, significant isotopes, oxygen 16, 17, and 18. And the ratio of oxygen 18 to 16 in the atmosphere is strongly correlated with temperature. And so by measuring the oxygen 18 to 16 ratio in these different layers of ice that we see uh, gives us an accurate record of the past temperature of the Earth. So they, they get these uh, samples of ice. They yes. drill down and they get... They just drill down through all the layers. Uh -huh. And they got proof that the layers are annual layers because these layers will have the dust signatures of known volcanic eruptions in recorded history. So they can count the number of layers, and indeed they are annual layers. So this, this, is, this is the discovery of, of truth. Now Christians like you and like me, we should believe very much in, in truth because Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We should, right. uh, I want to say to the audience watching today, we don't need to be afraid of the truth because truth is liberating. And if we follow Jesus Christ, we'll be adherents of the truth. And so they put down these, what, how, how, do they get, how do they get the ice out? Well, they just drill through, you mm. know, literally uh, hundreds of thousands of layers of ice. Goodness. And then they pull the core out, and then they take the core to a laboratory, and they analyze each year and so, represented. So it appears from these uh, layers, it appears that there has been uh, a hot age, and then a glacial age. Right. And so we have been living in a period 
of, of stability that has been the best for the development of civilization. Well, in the entire Ice Age cycle, there's only one interglacial where you got climate stability, and that's the one we're in right now. Now, when you speak about fine-tuning, you're an expert on the, the fine-tuning of the universe. When I heard this, it just about blew me away because how can a person uh, see this fine-tuning and not believe in a fine-tuner? Right. Uh, uh, tell me about, uh, we're getting a little bit off the subject, but we're not. Tell me a little bit about the fine-tuning that is found out in the, in the cosmos, in the universe. Well, that's where it was first noticed by my peers uh, going back even 50, 60 years. Then we look at the universe. Number one, we see the universe must be exactly the size and the mass that it is to get even one planet on which life is possible. The whole universe exists to make Earth possible. This, this is almost overwhelming. It's almost too hard to believe, but, but it is tr it's true, isn't it? It is. Now, and now tell me about the fine-tuning. I've, I've read most of your books, <laughs> and they're great books. Tell me about the fine-tuning of, of gravity and dark matter and dark energy and well, all this stuff. Well, what we're writing stuff. about in our most re recent books is the fact that the fine-tuning is ubiquitous. Literally every event in the history of the universe, Earth, and Earth's life, and every component of the universe, Earth, and Earth's life makes possible the existence of billions of human beings in a narrow time window here on planet Earth. As you see in the Bible, God begins his works of redemption before he creates anything. And what we're discovering in our scientific team at Reasons to Believe, everything we see in nature serves a purpose in making possible the redemption of billions of human beings. It's not just the universe, <clears throat> it's the earth. It's every species of life that has existed on the earth. Every event, I mean, that's kind of what I'm writing in uh, uh, Weathering Climate Change. Every event <clears throat> in the history of the <clears throat> earth plays a role in opening up this extraordinary window in which billions of us can exist. Uh, I, want to, I want to interrupt just for a moment to talk to the audience because I, I want them to listen to this. <laughs> Everything in the universe, uh, gravity, dark matter, dark energy, it's all fine-tuned to a, a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth. Well, change any of the laws of physics, any of the constants that govern the laws of physics, yeah by something as small as one part in a quadrillion, 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 you and I wouldn't be here. There yeah. wouldn't be any life anywhere in the universe. Mm. Moreover, everything we see, for example, every planet in our solar system must be in the position, the orbit, and the mass that it mm. is to make advanced civilization possible here on Earth. Uh, be kind to me. How can a person, how can a person be rational and see that you've got so much fine-tuning, not only on this planet, but out in the universe, uh, at the commencement of the universe, the moment when creation occurred. And then you've got a, a trillion things happening, and they're fine-tuned to a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth. Be, be kind to me. How can a person see this and deny the biblical truth that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what's changed in scientific academia is hyper-specialization. Whereas 300 years ago, we had researched scientists that were integrating all the scientific disciplines. Now, in order to be able to compete, you have to narrowly focus. When I was at Caltech, I only had time to research and study what was going on 
and high-frequency radio astronomy. So you don't get the big picture? You don't get the big picture. Now, you do see fine-tuning in your narrow subdiscipline, but a lot of my scientists peers say, well, it's in my narrow subdiscipline, but I don't think it's anywhere else. They haven't looked. And that's why we pull scientists out of academia and give them the freedom to do interdisciplinary research and show people, scientists included, this big picture, the fine-tuning is everywhere, and it's all focused on enabling billions of human beings to hear, understand, and respond to the gospel message. And, and, and so, Dr. Ross, the fine-tuning of the universe in a billion different ways uh, out there in space and the fine-tuning that is found on planet Earth, it, it seems to me to be overwhelming evidence that there must be a fine-tuner. It is. That's one reason on our website, reasons.org slash fine-tuning, you'll find a 300-page compendium listing just a tiny fraction <laughs> of the fine-tuning evidence. But we wanted people to say, you know, it's not just four or five factors. But there's thousands of factors that have to be fine-tuned. So, so belief in God is not a, an existential leap into the dark. It's not blind faith. It's not, but you've got to look at the evidence. You've got to, so, so your faith is based on an intelligent evidence. Right, as the Bible encourages that it must be. A lot of people don't understand this or believe this. Well, I mean, the whole Christian faith is found on the fact that God's revealed truth through two books, mm -hmm. the book of nature yeah. and the book of Scripture. But not, not all Christians believe this. I heard a, a young guy in a big uh, youth congress get up and say, uh, I believe in the resurrection uh, just because of faith. Uh, what's your evidence? He said, I don't need any evidence. That to me is, is a terrible statement of, of anti-intellectualism. Well, it's also a violation of what the Bible is saying yes. about faith. If you look up the Greek mm. and Hebrew words for faith that are used in the Bible, they all have the definition acting upon established truth. Mm. You don't have faith if you've taken no efforts to establish whether or not it's true. Mm. You also have no faith if you don't act on what you know so is true. So faith is acting upon established, established truth. truth. Right. Did you hear that, folks? Faith is acting upon established truth. Right. So faith does not supersede truth. Faith is based upon truth. Exactly. And therefore, when you do and other scientists do scientific work, the, the aim is to discover truth. And, G, and whether it's truth about global warming or the melting of the Antarctic or the Arctic, whatever it is, it must be in harmony with the statement of Jesus who said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Let me ask you this question. Are the glaciers melting? I was sent an article from Australia not long ago. I don't know if I've got it here. I can remember it anyhow. And it said that uh, all this business that we've been told, that the uh, glaciers are melting down in the Antarctic, it's not true. And that the story of the canary in the mine, uh, which is a warning of some impending disaster, all of this is basically... Hocus pocus. Well, there is some validity to that. It's not yet known whether or not the ice in Antarctica is accumulating no. or decreasing. It, 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 it so may, in fact, be accumulating. That's still being researched. 
What is well known is that the ice in North America and Greenland is rapidly declining. And let, let's talk about the stuff down in the Antarctic. So it's, it's certainly not a, an established truth that... Uh, well, we don't have the extensive data on the Antarctic that we do in the Northern Hemisphere. Why not? Just because we don't have enough stations there. Yeah, it hasn't been done. Uh, well, lots being done now. I mean, there's a lot mm. of satellite imagery. And so we know that, you know, huge ice fields are calving off of Antarctica and melting, but evidently new ice is forming. Uh, there's attempts to try to measure just what the precipitation rate is. Uh, but where we have much more solid data is what's happening in Canada, Alaska, and Greenland. And uh, there, there's really no dispute. Uh, the glaciers there are declining, and they're declining quite rapidly. And as I've written in my book, this could actually bring on the next ice age. So Let's take this one step at a time so I'm not overwhelmed with factual evidence and so that my wonderful audience can also keep up. So there's, we don't know exactly what's happening down south in the Antarctic. Uh, the evidence is not in. But certainly the evidence is in for Canada and Greenland and the Arctic. Yes. What's happening in Canada? Now, you're a Canadian. Well, Canada is experiencing global warming to a greater degree than anywhere else in the world. And incidentally, there are some places getting colder. But Canada is definitely getting warmer. That global warming in Canada is about five times the global average. Why is this? Well, I mean, we talk about the global mean temperature. That's averaging over the entire planet. Yes. And we would expect in a global warming model, certain parts of the world are going to get colder, like Eastern Europe. Mm. Other parts, like Canada, are going to get warmer. And so it's the average it where we talk about the fact, oh, average over the whole planet, we've got about a one degree centigrade so, increase. Yes. So um, tell me uh, specifically about some of the things that are happening in Canada. Well, which is a beautiful place. Yeah, I love it. It's a beautiful place. Mm. Uh, but nice we, people. <laughs> very polite. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what we've seen in the ice age, the ice cores in Greenland and Antarctica, is that every time we get a warming up to an interglacial, like we've had for the past 10,000 years, typically what happens is the temperature rises sharply to about two to three degrees centigrade above where we are now, and then we get a rapid temperature drop where you go into a long ice age. We now understand why that happens. It happens because as the temperature peaks above where it is now, it melts the polar ice cap. Now, the polar ice cap reflects sunlight with about 60% efficiency. But when it melts, that open liquid ocean water in the Arctic reflects sunlight with only 6% efficiency. Well, then it should get hotter. Shouldn't it? Well, what no? happens is it evaporates that open Arctic ocean water. Now you've got more water vapor above the Arctic, and that causes snow to fall on Siberia and Canada, and that's what brings on the next ice age. And so global warming actually has the risk that if you allow the global warming to persist to about 2 degrees centigrade above where we are now, you could melt the polar ice cap and drop the temperature by 10 to 15 degrees. Now, Dr. Ross, we're going to continue this in the next session. We're talking about global warming. And we're going to talk in the next segment about a Bible prophecy. 
that maybe alludes to man's interference with the laws of nature. You're watching the Carter Report, and my special guest today is world-famous scientist Dr. Hugh Ross. Stay with us. We're going to have another part of this tremendous program, and we will be back soon. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.